Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 232, for the 18th of February, 2016. I'm Chester Wisniewski, coming to you this week from Oslo, Norway, where I'm with Christian Samstad from uh, Infinigate, a distribution partner of ours here in Oslo. Welcome, Christian. Oh, thank you, Chester. I really appreciate Infinigate inviting me out here to speak at the HackCon conference in Oslo. I guess this is uh, HackCon 11, right? So it's been yeah. around for quite a while. Yeah, it's not like you mentioned uh, in a previous podcast, not 2000. 11. It's uh, actually the 11th consecutive HatCon. Well, yeah, so, I like how they've yeah. stuck with the Roman numerals. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the XI, unlike the Super Bowl this year, where I see mm-hmm. they've given up now and they just put 5 0. <laughs> yeah. Takes too long for uh, people to. <laughs> Forgot. Oh, which number is it again? Yeah, it's it, it, it's been good seeing all the talks. It seems like there's quite a lot of variety of stuff. I know you've been interviewing people after their talks here at the conference, uh, yep. putting a little video together. Uh, what kind of stuff have we uh, heard from today and the, the uh, at the conference? Well, so far it's been interesting. Uh, we've covered phishing, so we, you you cover the human aspect of uh, of security, and uh, you had your talk with uh, with the it's called when uh, penguins attack. So, uh, so sort of the, the Linux hosting malware to infect uh, Windows clients. That was it in a nutshell, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I saw that guy w- that was, uh, he, he's like offering to embed uh, yes. ARFID chips and NFC yeah, chips yeah. in your skin. NFC and uh, ARFID uh, chips implants. So security implications. I was thinking that, oh, is there a way to hack this? But the security implications he was talking about was more like uh, in terms of data breaches, for instance. I mean, you, these new NFC chips that are coming out now, you can get eight kilobytes of uh, data on it, which is quite a bit Yeah. to, to, to uh, you know smuggle under your skin. The needles were quite intimidating. Nobody signed up for an implant just yet. My card was uh, thankfully not compatible with the gear he had with him. So, or else pro- somebody would probably be able to talk me into doing it. And, and you at weren't going to try to smuggle 8K bytes at a time? No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could see Chelsea Manning with like, you know, 800 of these uh, <laughs> under his skin trying to, you know, smuggle out the, uh, the, the the cable gate. Yeah, if you have enough time, I guess. And then there was uh, Laura Bell from New Zealand, which uh, she presented a tool that she had for, uh, I guess it's more like user awareness or identifying extra vulnerable users in organizations organizations because rarely are people where they belong in the hierarchy they're rarely there when it comes to which groups they are in in terms of at least security or uh, like in the active directory or what rights do they have or so there was that and then uh, we started off with another american he was how to bypass your security for under 30 dollars all these gadgets he made i think it was rfid spoofing uh, he did some he had some card skimmers, I think, some magnetic stripe skimmers. And it's high tech, but it's low cost stuff, basically bought from China. Yeah, it was neat because I, I saw him uh, when you were interviewing him and he was talking and he was just using simple things like little Arduino boards yeah, yeah. And, and these types of things. And even had sort of the uh, magnetic field uh, copier thing like the Samsung phones do to pretend to be the mag stripe on your card and just hold it over the, exactly. the credit yeah. card reader and be able to do it, which I was impressed you can do that for under 30 bucks because I'm thinking, okay, you know, I got to buy a Galaxy S six <laughs> yeah <laughs> no so it's been a it's been a nice variety of subject uh, that's touched upon um so there's still a full day tomorrow i just missed the last one so well yeah uh, i guess the, the podcast some things have to be sacrificed I uh, guess, yeah 
Uh, looking at the news uh, this week, uh, sadly, there's a new ransomware strain going around called Locky. Uh, I see uh, Paul Ducklin uh, wrote that up on Naked Security. And, you know, it's it seems to come in via uh, poison documents and in some scenarios requires you to enable macros, which you would hope in 2015 we had gotten the point across that you shouldn't be doing that by now. But Well, at least Office, well, at least Word and, and Excel, they, uh, they default. You have to enable it uh, in order to turn it on at least. Yeah, and I'm just wondering, I wonder how common macros are in all environments. I realize in certain environments they're used a lot, especially in spreadsheets and things. Yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm thinking like at Sophos. In Word? I mean, who, yeah, who, I don't. <laughs> I, I never get a document that legitimately has a macro, so I'm just wondering if... I should um, send you one then, so <laughs> you know, make an exception. But, you know, if you don't really deal with things that need macros very often, it might be a good idea to use a GPO and lock down your office installation to not allow you to enable macros, right? And it's just going to end up... I, I'm guessing that, you know, now we just... If you open up a lot of documents, say if you're in HR, you get all these applicants and uh, applications, job in, uh, applications, and, and you're just getting used to enabling macros, just clicking that button every time, it kind of ends up being, you know, like the website... HDBS doesn't have a valid certificate and you just continue, you just ignore it. You get used to ignoring yeah. the warning. So Yeah, that's a that's a problem with a lot of these warnings, right? If they come up too often, you're just so used to ignoring them. I, I complain often about the uh, smart screen filter in Microsoft browsers on Windows 10, you know, warning me about innocent things that change frequently because they haven't, quote, seen it before. Yeah. And you get so used to just going, okay, every time I download a file, I have to click OK, and then I got to click the details button, and then I got to click the yes, I really yeah. want to save this or run this. And then when the bad thing happens, you've already done it. And sometimes you even know that you did it, and you're going, oh, no, I just did it, and I shouldn't have. But it's such a habit, right? Like you're, you're doing it all the time, and it's it's hard to break that habit. And I mean, r- ransomware has been something that's been uh, affecting people here in Norway as well? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I wouldn't say it's popular, but it's uh, it's widespread. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and the payload, the delivery mechanisms are the same as we see in other countries. It's uh, usually that the one, the latest one is uh, from the postal service, the national postal service. You get an email saying you have a package from somewhere, uh, it's, you have to claim it or, uh, you know, ship it back. And uh, a lot of people have packages on the way or uh, they ordered something and, you know, in a busy schedule, it's easy to just click the link. Yeah, I, I always wonder a little and bit. And it's in Norwegian. It's in, in correct Norwegian, which is uh, sometimes it's straight from Google Translate, doesn't translate that well. And you could tell that there's something off. You, you see it right away. But this was pretty well crafted, probably professionally uh, translated. Well, it reminds me of another story we were going to talk about with SMS phishing uh, that, that was on the website about some some banking things. But, you know, back to that same idea with the post is that, you know, when you're on your mobile phone, it's even harder to tell if these things are real, right? Like, yeah, you get that email and you're like, hmm, maybe it really is posting. And well, I'll just click it and see where it goes because I'm on my phone and I'm safe. You know, I'm out on that crazy dangerous Windows computer at work. Uh, yeah, I'm on my iPhone and my iOS. That should be all right. Right. Um, and, the, and of course, that often is leading to phishing. We're seeing phishing is very, very popular for mobile devices because you don't have to infect them with malware. You just have to convince someone that, you know, you're something that they expect so that you'll give them your password. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, it's harder to see. I mean, uh, you have a screenshot on the Naked Security blog. One fake site, one real site is from a bank, I think. Yeah, it was, I think, uh, ANZ Bank in Australia. Yeah, and it's, it, it is, at first glance, it is hard to see the difference. And especially on, I mean, on your iOS device, then, you know, you auto-hide the, 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 the little padlock, the green padlock, which makes sure that it's actually from the site that's uh, 
it's claiming to be. So just small stuff like, and it's a small screen and you're often in doing something else. Yeah. Well, exactly. And that's that's really the thing. I mean, even the green lock, I mean, now with Let's Encrypt, uh, where anybody can get a free SSL certificate and the fact that there's scripts to automate the issuance of those SSL certificates, which is great for every average blogger person who wants to secure their website. The problem is going to be, you know, criminals can just as easily get certificates for all their bogus domains that they're setting yeah. up for all the phishing and glancing at it and going, oh, it's green. Green, isn't enough now you got to look at it really carefully and go is that a zero or is that an o yeah. <laughs> um so i guess you know like always we always give people impractical advice like always type in the url and don't click a link which is another thing we simply don't want to do on our mobile phones yeah and uh, i mean uh, and and getting people to i mean just a short little digression but uh, with the ssl looking at the encryption and then actually clicking the lock. In the cases where we implement SSL encryption, we want to inspect the SSL traffic. Then the users are suddenly saying, hey, this doesn't match the... Like, oh, well, that matches the firewall. Don't worry about that. That's just because <laughs> you're at work. I, I, I can understand it gets confusing. Yeah, this this is going to be a bigger and bigger issue as, m you know, most of the uh, most popular web is already all SSL encrypted. And and f quickly other things are all following on behind. And the question is really going to become, is it is it smart and practical to continue to try to intercept SSL at the web filter, at the UTM, at the firewall edge? Yeah. Or are we going to go back to maybe doing more of it at the endpoint, which I think is something we're certainly looking at because the, the, when you're on the actual computer that's the, running the browser, you can inspect it without having a man in the middle uh, because your browser's already decrypted the traffic and you can look at it after it's been decrypted. And it's not as good because, of course, you want to stop the bad things as far away from your computer as you can. With with all the security and privacy concerns these days, well, I think we got to step back and rethink how we approach these problems. Yeah, definitely. And, and there is also the thing with the, I mean, performance-wise, it does take its toll on whatever gateway you're installing it on. If you want to run double antivirus checks on the gateway, if you want to do IPS, you're doing advanced threat protection, sandboxing, and you're going to run this, everything is SSL and inspect it as well. I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, you're going to need a bigger firewall. There's always a new problem. I mean, you know, a year and a half ago, the problem was, hey, look at the government spying on us. This one's spying on us. Hackers are spying well, on us. We need to encrypt problem. all of our traffic. Yeah. And now we're going, oh, crap, we've encrypted all of our traffic. Now we don't know how to look at it to see if it's malware or phishing. So it it's, sometimes feels like a lose-lose situation. Mm -hmm. uh, another vulnerability this week, sadly, and a major component of uh, Linux systems, the uh, glibc library, it, this is kind of nasty. Basically, there's a flaw in how DNS lookups are done. There's a buffer overflow vulnerability. And so a malformed DNS response can cause a buffer overflow and potentially cause remote code execution. It's bad enough that it's in you know, this really common library, and apparently this bug's been around for eight years. But even worse, anything that's compiled against a vulnerable version of it, you're going to need to update as well. So it's not like you can just go to, you know, Ubuntu and go, hey, get update and update your glibc and have everything be good. Worse than that, it's going to be, oh, now we need to update our PHP. We need to update our Perl. We need to update any application that was compiled against the vulnerable one. And that's going to be really hard to sniff out, right? Like if this becomes a widespread attack, it could be really dangerous. Yeah, no, I I, I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's new. I haven't really had a chance to, uh, to get into it yet, 
seems like it would would have some widespread imp implications i'm just looking at uh some of the uh influenced versions it's uh yeah it's, it's a long list and i guess that <clears throat> i'm guessing we'll see probably some more on naked security blog about it at least uh probably have some recommendations from sophos at some point maybe yeah yeah we'll we'll definitely be looking at this very carefully and uh you know for linux admins out there if you are running uh servers with uh, in the linux infrastructure they're probably doing dns lookups so at least make sure that you're uh, checking for updates quite regularly from whichever vendor you're using for your distribution because i you know i imagine we'll see the glibc patch reasonably quickly but then you're probably going to see a few weeks of follow-on of other apps that were compiled against it that slowly get uh, their patches released as well whether that's a recompiled post fix or SSL. SHD or PHP and this kind of stuff, they, there might be a bit of a long tail to this one. And lastly, just always like to have something slightly entertaining. I see, well, I shouldn't be entertained, but Ringo Starr's Twitter account was compromised. And I suppose the reason I'm entertained is that the the hacker apparently had uh, too good of grammar. Uh, and that's how people realized that it wasn't actually Ringo Starr, was that uh, yeah. the, the grammar was correct. And uh, well, and I it, think it might have uh, gone a little overboard with the uh, with the emojis. I think, <laughs> yeah, maybe just a little bit. I mean, it, it's funny to me. I guess I, I decided I'm allowed to laugh because they didn't do anything malicious to anyone other than Ringo. Um, like they they didn't post links to exploit websites. They didn't fish anyone. Maybe his assistant or uh, the one responsible for his Twitter account. Maybe. That could be, uh, well, maybe not that fun for that person, but uh, most likely they have their email compromised. Yeah, and in fact, that was even suggested in one of the tweets, I believe, that the email account itself might have been might have been compromised because it was like the peace and love thing. Yeah, yeah. that kind of got halted a bit because my manager's email was broken into. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of <laughs> suggesting like, hey, wait a minute, actually Rango's manager is the operator of this Twitter profile and maybe just maybe I got into his or her Gmail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, may or may not have changed the password on the Twitter account. But, you know, back to good practices again. One, it's high time for... For all of us, especially if you have a large following on Twitter and you could cause harm to a large number of people following you, to be using two-factor authentication. I mean, yes, Twitter's yes. is rather inconvenient to use. I think you have to load their mobile app on your phone and then it right. you log in every time you log in. You have to like click a thing saying authorize this login. But it's but, there, right? But you if can, you, you have those it. that many followers, it's basically a job to post tweets. Then you know that's that should be part of it. That should be part of it, exactly. But also, if it's true that the uh, manager's email was hacked, same thing, folks, right? Gmail offers uh, second-factor authentication with either a, a U2F token or with Google Authenticator. Uh, Microsoft offers it with their uh, Outlook.com and Hotmail service. Same thing, Google Authenticator style, or I think you can even download a Microsoft Authenticator app that's the exact same thing. Um, we, you know, we recommend that you use these things. And in particular, as you say, if you've got, you know, I've only got 10,000 followers and I'm like paranoid about what gets posted to my Twitter account, largely because it's my reputation on the line. But you'd think, boy, you know, when you've got as many followers as uh, Ringo Starr, which... Um, oh, how many followers does he have? I have like 24 followers, so I'm not that worried <laughs> about... Uh, I can always make a new one. Yeah, I, I, I didn't look up how many Ringo has, but I'll, I'll assume it's more than both of us combined. And uh, there is a bit of social responsibility there. I mean, we saw in the past, uh, you know, BBC's Twitter account was hacked by the uh, Syrian Electronic right. Army. Uh, there was lots of these things. And sometimes they have been used to malicious ends uh, or sometimes just for spamming. I remember John Dvorak, who's a, a famous internet commentator. You know, his account was hacked and was sending out spams about diet pills. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, 
again, at least it's somewhat harmless and, and, and unless the diet pills are harmful to you. But the, the more concerning thing from my standpoint is what happens when they spam out a link to something with an exploit kit or pretending yeah. to be the Hotmail login is phishing you or these types of things. So yeah, we really got to take have, care of our accounts. Yeah, like Ringo has... It says 758,000 followers. Wow. So, so it's, you know, you would think that with an audience that big. I think if I was Ringo, you know, I just wouldn't be on Twitter because I'm not really sure. Well, he's probably not on. I mean, personally, but. <laughs> I'm not on Facebook and I don't have a placeholder and nobody pretends to be me on Facebook. And I think it's okay to not participate in social media sometimes. But I, I really appreciate you joining me, Christian. And I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Out. Real pleasure. Thanks. And uh, as always, uh, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available on RSS. They're on iTunes. They're in the TuneIn app. And very soon, they will be in the new Google podcast uh, thing that's part of Google Music. And always available at soundcloud.com slash sofasecurity. And until next time, stay secure.